Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 18. King Ahab is being dealt with by the Lord. Graciously, patiently, but firmly. How? By a message delivered by a man. Uh, by a drought. By great suffering. Even for the king. Remember last time we saw Ahab going out looking for what? Grass. He's the king. And he's looking for grass with his servant Obadiah to, to feed the animals. So it's affecting him at the highest level, this drought, as God is trying to deal with him. And that's what sin will do. Sin ruins everything. You might want to jot that down if you're taking notes. Sin ruins everything. Sin has a destructive part to it. It's deceptive, but it's destructive. And it's been said, and I believe it to be true, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It made Nebuchadnezzar into an animal. And he literally acted that way in Daniel chapter 4. You can read it for homework. He walked away from Daniel without changing, without repenting. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16 verse 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So understand something about sin and pride as Ahab is on display here, being dealt with with his idolatry, his sin, and his pride. These six things the Lord hates, the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 6. Yes, even seven are an abomination to him. Now, we usually emphasize the last part of it where he hates those that sow seeds of discord because most people that are gossiping and dividing and slanderous don't think it's that big a deal. But the end in chapter 6, verse 17 says that God hates those that sow seeds of discord. But number one on the list, actually, number one on the list of the things that are listed that God hates is a proud look. Then a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. Sin will bring us down. Pride will take us down every single time. Sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but always. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes as an animal, literally. Ahab is resistant when he's given chance after chance, including another opportunity with Elijah standing before him. What does he say to Elijah? You troubler of Israel. That wasn't true. Elijah wasn't a troubler of Israel, but he was a troubler of Ahab. Because anytime you and I are caught and deceived by sin and pride, the truth is a trouble to us. We intrude, that's how far we are from God, where the very truth of God, the very truth of his word, is troubling to us. And there's only one response. If pride goes before a fall, repentance picks a person up. If pride goes before a fall, repentance picks a person up. Now, I want to speak, before we get into the rest of the text here, to us as a church family, especially those that invest a little extra time during the week. It's difficult to invest your time in Bible study, but we're hungry and we're eager. For us as a church, and of course those listening in at, at a later time, if, there are, if there's pride in the church, and there is, right, amen, 
and pride goes before a fall, and that means there's going to be people that fall in a church, right? Amen? Amen. So pride's in a church, people that fall that are in a church, that's all of us, then we that haven't fallen or not gripped by, by pride in the moment need to be ready to catch them and help them back up. That's part of our responsibility as the church. Our responsibility as the church is to help serve them and help them get back up. And I know it's hard, and I know it's muddy, and I know, uh, you know, sin twists so much into a situation, and you've got to invest, and you lose sleep, and you've got to spend the time praying, and you've got to spend the time talking, and you've got to spend the time investing, but, but we're not to kick people when they're down. And we're not to gossip about them because sin has overcome them or they've done something stupid. We're not to condemn them, to overwhelm broken hearts. We're to catch them, we're to restore them, and we're to help them. That's your responsibility. It's, it's not just my responsibility, it's our responsibility as the body of Christ. We have that reputation as a church, not Calvary Aurora in particular, but the church in general. We have a reputation that the people that get hurt the most by those in the church are those that need the help of the church the most. And we have a reputation of kicking when we're down. We have a reputation of smearing and condemning. And, and it's not from the Lord. It's not, you know, you, you think of Nebuchadnezzar. You go, oh, what an idiot. What an idiot. He's an animal. No, who's going to help the guy while he's acting like an animal? Or we look at Ahab. Now, again, these guys are just so rebellious and so resistant. But that's a, that's a problem for us, too. We see the more rebellion and the more resistance. It, it, there's, everybody has a line. Every one of you has a line where you just think somebody crosses that line and you just give up on him. We go, that, forget that. That guy's not, I don't have time for that guy. That guy's an idiot. He's caught, you know, you think about, can you imagine the prayer meetings for a man by the name of Saul? Can you imagine the prayer meetings? God, you know what Saul's doing. He just went into our neighbor's house and ripped off the wife and took it. And he just, would, God, would you just deal with Saul? Take him out. I'm sure some people were praying that. I don't think the prayer meeting for Saul was, Oh, Lord, thank you so much for sending Saul into our life. Thou art a mighty, wonderful God for allowing Saul to rip off our neighbors. And, you know, Lord, multiply Saul's, would you? The church just needs more. Do you think that was the prayer meeting? But sometimes that, you know, that, 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 that's our perspective. Uh, you know, some of the, as you're listening, if you guys, when we break off into prayer, there's always a part of the room that's louder than another part of the room. And it seems to be different because there's always a group of people that seems to be praying more intense than someone else. They just come with heavy things. They come with man. And, and some of you may not, you go, well, you know, I don't really want to pray that loud, Ed, because then everybody's going to think and everybody's going to worry. And you just got to outgrow what people think about you. Nobody's going to know. And even if they do and they look at, you know, you look at them and go, why don't you come and pray loud with us? You're obviously got, you know, why don't you come and pray? Why don't you? We're going to be the intense group over here in the corner. And anybody wants to be intense with the Lord because you're just in an intense time in your life. And you just, that's just where your prayer meeting is. That's just where you're at. And it's okay. It's okay to be intense in that sense where you're pressing into the things of the Lord. It wasn't some simple prayer. Someone, I though, in those prayer meetings with Saul, someone said, God, if you would save a man like Saul, he could do great things for the church. With that kind of craziness and that kind of intensity, if you would save a guy like that, somebody was praying for his salvation because he got saved. 
and he was changed and God intervened. And that crazy out of control man did more for the kingdom than he ever did to destroy it. And God redeemed his life. Just like God wants to redeem those that have fallen, those that are going, those that seem to be the most difficult, those, you know, the, the, the ones that, like King Ahab, can you imagine? Somebody needs to be praying for King Ahab because if he would repent, can you imagine what he could do for the kingdom of God? Can you imagine what God could? So now he, he's off and we need to remember that when someone falls, we need to help them, we need to help pick them up within the church. We, we need to be there to look him in the eye like Elijah Ahab should have been following God and instead he chose idolatry and God sent Elijah to look him in the eye and tell him the truth. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And let me just suggest this and you can pray and process it. Perhaps the reason why people get kicked when they're down, perhaps the reason why uh, people are gossiping and slandering about people that have fallen into sin and mocking and laughing and, oh, they deserved it and I knew it was going to happen or whatever, is because there's a lack of spiritual depth in the church. Because it says you guys that are spiritual, you're the ones to restore. And if you don't find yourself involved in restoring and in helping and in pleading for someone, you just need to ask the Lord. I'm not saying it because I don't know you personally in your personal walk. I don't know all your walks here, but I, I think you should ask the question, God, am I spiritual? Because a spiritual person cares about those that are hurting, those that are going through it, and those that have fallen. And there are countless people around us. There are countless people around us who will either come to us when there's a problem or run away from us when there's a problem. And it all depends on how they see themselves and whether they're ready. Now, we can't help everyone, but we can pray, and we can ask the Lord to do that work. And Ahab is far from the Lord. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 17 of chapter 18. It happened when Ahab saw Elijah that he said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and eat, who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered not a word. And Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but the Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then, verse 24, here's the challenge. Then you call on the name of your gods, notice little g, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. What has been an issue in their lives for many years now, God sends Elijah to tell them plainly, you're idolaters and you've been faltering between two opinions. Choose today, 
Today's the day of choice. You see, Elijah, in the power of God, standing before the most powerful man of the nation at the time, he is walking in the power of God, speaking to this man, and you notice he subtly takes control. Ahab is, is the one in control. He's the one, he's the one that wants Elijah taken care of. But then in verse 19, Elijah turns around. I haven't troubled, in verse, 17, uh, verse 18, I haven't troubled you. You're in sin. So get the people together. It's time for a challenge. And he subtly takes the situation into his own hands. And the first thing he tells them as they're gathering together in verse 21, and if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word falter. How long will you falter between two opinions? And that's the word of the Lord to you today. That's the word of God to you listening. How long will you falter between two opinions? Circle the word falter and write next to it limp or the better way to think of it, I was just going to say totter, but you could write next to it teeter-totter. Back and forth. Back. How long will you go back and forth? How long? That word literally means to limp or to totter. And that, the idea is back and forth. It's a word that can speak of a person that's intoxicated. Now with that picture, we can understand a little bit more. You know, a person that's coming under the influence of alcohol, they think they have control, but they really don't. They think that they're okay, but that's their problem. So they think they're okay, so they take the next drink. They think they're okay after six or seven drinks at the bar at night, and they get behind the wheel. They're not okay. And they're either going to find out one of two ways. They're going to be pulled over and put in jail where they belong, or they're going to severely hurt somebody. They're not okay. They're faltering. Their mind is being taken over by the substance that they fed themselves You'll see it when you're driving. Now, of course, they're doing studies today that when you're texting and driving, you actually have the same effects as driving under the influence. So it's not so easy anymore. But in the day, you could be driving down the road and you could just see, you would call 911. The guy in front of me, something's severely wrong with them. And you would think automatically that they're drunk. And, and I guess the longer you drive, like you're, you're call, you, you actually back up a little bit. You, begin, you call 911 and you stay within eye view of them in case they get hurt until somebody comes and pulls them over. You can see it. You can see it with your own eyes. The effects of someone getting behind the wheel after taking a few drinks. And the picture in your mind is bouncing back and forth, swerving in and out. The idea of limping along. The, the idea of being lame and wavering. And under the horrific leadership of Ahab and Jezebel and the compromising agreement of the people, they're sort of drunk spiritually intoxicated. They're going back and forth, never really making a strong decision. On the one hand, they wanted to worship. And in some cases, they wanted to worship the one true God. But on the other hand, on the other hand, they wanted to bow at the altar of Baal and Asherah, which were the gods of sensuality, the gods of fertility. And it was very sexually perverse in their worship. They wanted to bow before the sun god. Why? Well, there was some pragmatic benefits of worshiping false gods, especially at this time. If you were to worship the one true God, you'd be offensive to Ahab and you would lose your life. So it was easier to compromise because then you wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of the current leadership. If you did something that the king and queen didn't want you to do, then off with your head. 
So why not just follow along? And besides the, the feelings that came with false worship, besides the feelings that came with not standing up for what was right, besides the, the false friends that you developed and the people that you can hang out with, and in that day you can imagine the kind of Instagram selfies they would be taking. Look, I, look, I'm partying with this guy. Look, I'm partying with this guy. Nobody sends an Instagram picture of being in jail with a bunch of drunks. Look at me. I got busted. I'm an idiot. It's always the fakeness and the falseness of what life might look like in the world and what might life, they were teetering and they were making decisions that were most benefiting themselves. You see, Elijah's saying you've got to make a choice. You've got to take a stand. How long will you falter? How long will you teeter and totter? How long will you go back and forth and back and forth in your relationship with God? That's often at the very root of why things are so difficult in a person's life, in a believer's life. They're wavering and they're faltering and they're compromising and things get hard when you're a compromiser. There are people in the church today that live in two worlds. You want to go to church on Sunday and you, you want to be among the believers because that's where your friends are. You want to put that appearance. You want to know that your name is written in the book of life. You want to know that your sins are forgiven. You want your kids to avoid all the difficulties that this sinful life have. You want to have that sense of satisfaction and that sense of forgiveness and you want to feel as if your guilt is removed. You want to know that you're going to heaven but then you also want to have fun. And what you interpret is fun. And this world has a lot of things that they interpret as fun. They're all designed to separate you from your money. You understand that. Fun is not free. It's not free financially, and it's not fun spiritually when it's sinful fun defined by the world. Before you know it, you've got a profit. I'm not considering myself a prophet in the day of Elijah, but before you know it, you've got a guy like Ed that says, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long are you going to do it? It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And the consequences of faltering, you, you may come back to the Lord, but now you're coming back with all kinds of consequences that when you sit down with me in my office, or you sit down with me and I, my heart is automatic. I wish I, the first thing I do, I wish I could take the consequences away but I can't. You asked for them. You requested them. Why? Because you faltered. You keep going back and forth. You go back into the world and you jump into the things of the world. You, you want to participate in the things of the world. You want to be the world. It's misery. It's misery. It's tormenting. And you're back and forth. It's sort of like going into the reservoir you know, that, that the water, I remember one year we had the baptism there, the water was so cold. I thought they had heaters in the reservoir. It was so cold that you just, we stood in there for 15 minutes and we were numb. It was, and then we're shaking and shivering and it was so cold. And, and you know, you think of a cold pool or you think of a cold ocean or you think of a cold reservoir. There are one of two ways to deal with that. You can either just go in, man, and just do it. Just jump in and get it over with. Just make the decision. 
And then, you know, you deal with the comp, but at least you're in and you're like, I chose, I'm going in. Or you can, ooh, 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 so cold. And now your toe's cold and then you little by little and then you're back and then you're cold. And before you know it, you're like, it's worse than just jumping right in. And the best way to do it is just jump in. Make a decision. Jump in and start splashing everybody that won't. <laughs> a lot of people want to get in, but they don't want to go too deep. A lot of people want to go into the things of God, but they don't want to go too deep. They, they want... They, they, they want a name, but deny the power thereof, the Bible says. They, they want to be entertained. They, they, they desire to feel good, but not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the man that I heard about in the days of the Civil War. He couldn't decide whether he wanted to fight for the North or for the South. So he compromised by wearing a jacket from the North and a trousers from the South. And he ended up getting shot on both sides. And that's what's happening to the compromiser, to the man or woman that tries to live in two worlds. They have too much of the Lord to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. And you have to ask yourself, does that describe you? Because here's what God says to you tonight. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you falter between two opinions? How long Will you falter, verse 21, if the Lord is God, follow him. That's the word to you, uh, to you today. If the Lord is God, and he is, then follow him. And he now wants to demonstrate, Elijah does, the power of God, verse 25. Elijah said to the prophet to Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it. For you are many, call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which, bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Did you notice in verse 28 real quick, we're not going to develop this, but this is, such a, this is such a common thing that's increased over the years where kids are cutting themselves. Kids are cutting themselves and, and the motivation behind it is this self-mutilation is this giving them the feeling that at least they control something. That at least they can control whether they feel pain. So much in their life is out of control so much in their identity and so much fear and anxiety, so much going on with the pressures at school and what the future might be, that, that they start cutting themselves. And, and if that's something happening in your home or something happening in your family, one of the prayers that you need to pray is pray against the, the demonic attacks on your child because it's cutting yourself is a, is a, is a spiritually dark thing. And, and don't condemn the kids for it. Pray them out of it and love them out of it because they're just caught up in believing a lie. And they know at the end, like the prophets of Baal here, it doesn't get them what they're looking for. And if you're listening and you're cutting yourself, don't. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. 
He took the wounds upon himself. He was cut, if you will. And nails, spikes were put through his wrist and through his feet so that you wouldn't have to cut yourself. And here they are dancing and flipping out, trying to call down their false god. The problem is, is that Baal is an idol and he has eyes that can't see and he has ears that can't hear and he's incapable of answering because he doesn't exist. He's just an idol. And they cry out by the time they get to, you know, because with this cutting, here, here you have this example of them shedding, trying, their, here they are bleeding, trying to call their God down, when all the while Messiah, he bled for them. And you don't have to self-mutilate yourself in order to gain any feeling. God wants to give you feeling back in your life. Not just the pain and the hurt, but he wants to fill your heart with joy and satisfaction and hope for the future. God is a God of hope. And they've got all this emotional response begging God and trying to work God down when all the while God came down voluntarily. He came before we even asked to save you and me. And so Elijah mocks them in verse 27. He mocks them. Because it's a mockery what they're doing, trying to call down their false gods. And in the New Living Translation, it translates verse 27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in a deep thought, or he's relieving himself. Maybe your god is on the toilet, and he doesn't have time to answer you. Maybe he's on a trip or asleep. In the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase uh, that... Uh, Mr. Taylor wrote for his grandkids, this is what he says in the Living Bible. It's totally a paraphrase. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder than that to catch the attention of your God. Perhaps he's talking to someone, and he said it straight out, or sitting on the toilet. Maybe he's away on a trip and needs to be awake. And here they are completely flipping out. Why? Because a man becomes like his God. A man becomes like his God. If your God is false, then you're false. And if your God is demanding, then you're demanding. And if your God is, is hyper-emotional and perverted, then you're hyper-emotional. You become like your God. The thing about every false idol, that, it's, that every false idol in our life, and please don't think of just a false idol as a little statue on your dashboard. There's so much that we have in our lives that bring us satisfaction and joy and peace other than God, and it's all idols. The idol of money, the idol of fame, career, the idol of ministry, the idol of your marriage, thinking your spouse is going to give you what only God can give you, the idol of your children. I mean, you can go on and on and on as you look at your life. The idol of alcohol, the idol of drugs, marijuana, smoking pot is an idol, You're seeking something that only God can give. And it's not just some little, you know, because we in our modern Western thinking, we think, well, you know, I left idolatry away. I don't go to, I don't, I don't go to the Catholic church anymore, so I don't have any more little idols. Or I used to be a, a following Buddha, and I got rid of Buddha. I dropped him right in the trash. I mean, he's gone. They, they took him. And so I don't have idols. It's not just something that represents that false idol. It's the idol behind it. It's what we're looking for and what we're devoting ourselves to instead of the Lord. Relationships. I mean, on and on the things can go. The thing about every false idol is that it's demanding 
and never satisfied. You can't yell enough. You can't dance enough. You can't scream enough. You can't cut yourself enough. You can't drink enough. You can't be under the influence of, you can't take enough drugs in order to satisfy that God. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you're accepted in the beloved. God is satisfied by the offer of salvation through the perfect son, his life for your life. And you may not be where you want to be, and you may not be as far along as you want to be, but God is satisfied with you by faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith brings that relationship, and he accepts you in the beloved. That's what the Bible says. He accepts us in the beloved, and he loves us. And the good news about that love is that he isn't going to allow us to stay in a state of stagnation. We're going to grow, and we're going to get through this. And we're going to take the next step. Why? Because the power of God, the resurrection power of God lives in every believer. So he's challenging him. Go ahead, get the bull. Call fire down. Don't make any fire. Call fire down from your God. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar. Because notice in verse 29, uh, once midday was passed, they prophesied of the offering, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Isn't that the end result of idolatry? No voice, nobody answers, and nobody pays attention surrounding that false God. Who is it that pays attention in this world? It's followers of Jesus. Who stands for the unborn? It's the followers of Jesus. Who's the one that proclaims the good news that you sent? It's followers of Jesus. From the world, when things get tough, it's all temporary. And, and really, that's why tying it everything together, we must, we must reflect the love of Jesus. It's not a pastor's job to do that. It's all of us. Says, well, you know, that's what pastors do. You're right, that's what pastors do. And then the pastor would say, that's what believers do because that's what we all are. It's not no voice and it's not no, we don't end. With Jesus, it doesn't end no voice because his voice booms from heaven. The father says to Jesus, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, that voice speaks to us. You're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and it doesn't end, nobody answered. And it doesn't end with nobody paid attention because we're never alone in the Lord. So now, because it didn't happen, Elijah calls all the people, come near to me. All the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And isn't that the way God is? He always begins by repairing He always begins by putting things together. Jot this down real quick in Isaiah 58, verse 11. Isaiah 58, 11 says, the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Lord does that repairing work in our lives. And Elijah rebuilds the altar. He takes 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. 
And he put in wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. They did it with a dry altar, called down fire from heaven, didn't happen. Now Elijah's going, you know what? Not only do you have a false God, but I'm gonna show you I'm going to show you. He's walking in faith here because it doesn't make much sense. I mean, if you, I mean, you have to have a lot of faith to think that God is going to have, he's going to call fire down from heaven. All right? Do you understand that? Fire down from heaven. Why don't somebody just call fire down from heaven right now? Why don't you come up and do it? Let's watch you. That's the kind of faith. Everyone's like, oh. some of you go, well, I'll do it. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Praise God bless you. That's crazy. You'd have to hear from the Lord. Not only call fire down from heaven after watching them, you know, fake it and watching them not call on their false gods, but now he's going to pour water. Water, fire, they don't mix. So what does he do? He says, pour out the water. Verse 34, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And so the water ran all around the altar and also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you've turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What an event. God shows up in a miraculous way. He shows up in a huge way. Unbelievable what's happening. The water comes down from heaven and, and consumes everything. I mean, the fire comes down from heaven, consumes everything, including the water. And then after a very simple prayer, God demonstrates himself to be the one true God. You know, God does that all the time in your life. I think of having a church planner up here today sharing a testimony. A church planner has to hear the same thing. And it feels like when you're doing a work for the Lord that you're just pouring water. God, I want you to do this, but I'm going to pour water. And, and I'm going to pour water. And I, I'm, I want it to be so clear that you're doing this. And sometimes, the, you know, in a church plant, it's kind of pouring water. It's like one week there's five people there. And then the next week there's zero people there. And the sign doesn't even show up on top of that. Blows away. And it's like the Lord pouring water. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And we don't want that. We want the opposite. We want five to ten 15 to 20, that's our estimation of God's faithfulness. Unfortunately, we kind of look at things outwardly, just like the Bible says, and we think that God's approval is this over here and God's approval of that. And all God's looking for and all that he approves of is faithful obedience. The results are up to him. So Elijah's being faithful, being faithful, pour the water, pour the water, pour the water. Even if God didn't bring fire down from heaven, Elijah was obedient. But how would you feel if he didn't bring fire down from heaven? At least on the first time or the second time. In this case, it doesn't happen. But man, I think I know how I'd feel. I'm like, man, God, now I look just like the false prophets. 
And the Lord's just saying, no, wait on it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Bam! Catch them all because they deserve to die. Why? Because they're false prophets. It's just amazing. This is amazing if you wonder, well, why kill 450 prophets? Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm not going to give you the verse. You just find it. Deuteronomy 18. The hand of the Lord comes upon Elijah. And so now Elijah, verse 41, tells Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for the sound, there is a sound of the abundance of rain. And Abraham, uh, Ahab went up to eat and drink, verse 42. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now toward the sea. And so he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Seven times again, he said, go again. Some of you are in that place right now. Seven times he was told to do this. Go back, comes back. Go back, comes back. Go back, comes back. Go back, he comes back. Go back, and he comes back. Go back, and he comes back. Go back. Go back, number seven. And it says in verse 44, it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And so he said, go up to say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So God shows up in a miraculous way. He affirms his place and his presence in Elijah's life, declares that the drought is over, sends heavy rain, according to verse 45, black with clouds and heavy rain, and Elijah heads off in the power of the Lord to confront Ahab one more time. And you know, there are those times when God has worked in our lives in a supernatural way. They're always exciting. They're always glorious. They're always wonderful. It's exciting to see God move. It's exciting to see him work. It's exciting to, to work, to, to be a part of what God's doing, to see if people acknowledge the work of God, to see him affirm and, and approve and to actually experience it. But watch out. Watch out. Watch out because right after every great spiritual experience, you can be sure that the devil is waiting to cut you down to size. That's why we can't live on experience. Enjoy it, accept it, but commit it to the Lord. It all belongs to him. Because after great highs, often are even greater lows. And here's Elijah coming down from this tremendous victory up on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets. God, I mean, not only, not, not only did God show up, but he showed up in a tremendously amazing, unique way that will be spoken of. It's being spoken of now here thousands of years later, this fire coming down from heaven. Do you, can you imagine sharing your testimony and that you're the guy that called fire down from heaven? You're like, yeah, you know, I was just up on Mount Carmel one day and uh, there's 450 prophets and and they were dancing around being dumb and nothing happened with them. And, and I just walked up and said, God, you know how good you are. And as I was talking, fire came down and it destroyed everything. I'm the one that called fire down from heaven. I mean, I think we'd be tempted to take the glory and credit for that. That's what happens when great things happen. It's almost like we, oh, we were in the best place and we were in the best condition. And we, it was because of our faith. And it was because, listen, listen. Without God, we are nothing. Amen. Period. 
And we don't have a testimony of Elijah like that. But certainly something's happening with him because the very next chapter, he goes from high to low. He goes from Mount Carmel to the caves. He goes from prominence and attention and, and, and being in the middle of miraculous work of God to the caves. And he is going to have to deal with discouragement and fear and anxiety. And we see this great man of faith, the man that brings fire down from heaven, a man that's known for his prayer life, the man that brings life back to a child, the man that was fed by ravens, the man that was used to have oil and flour no longer cease in a widow's house. And at the word of Ahab's wife, he runs away in fear. Now, Jezebel was no ordinary woman, let me tell you. She was a wicked, evil person. And I can understand a little bit of his fear within a wicked, evil person is committed to take you out. But you can go from Mount Carmel to the valley that fast. And that's why we need to learn not just to live on emotion, although we are emotional people, but to live by faith by faith you believe God no matter what it looks like and we believe God no matter what it feels like and we obey God no matter how we feel because many times the mistake that's made and we'll get into it later but the mistake that's made is that I won't obey until my feelings change and then a person like that never obeys and their feelings never change this is the path out you change your mind and God will change your heart. You change your mind and God will change your heart. It's not the other way around. You know, I'll just, uh, as soon as I feel like it, as soon as I feel better, as soon as I, yeah, you're going to be waiting a long time. I don't know how long you'll wait, but it'll make you a faltering, wavering person. But if you choose in your mind to obey, no matter how you feel, and you take that step, God will begin to work on your heart right away. And before you know it, you're walking in freedom and you're walking in obedience and the Lord is showing himself strong on your behalf. And then you look back, you go, man, I really do feel different now. I really don't feel that bad anymore. And, and God begins to work in you and brings you out of that place of despair. So read ahead in chapter 19. That's where we'll be next time. And Father... We are uh, sorry, God, for faltering in our lives. Some of us falter in big ways. Some of us falter in small ways, but we're sorry. Please forgive us for the faltering part of our lives. I pray in particular, Lord, for the compromiser that's listening right now. The one that's trying to live in two worlds and is miserable in both. Would you bring them back to yourself, God? It may not be within like church. It may not be a church thing. It might be a family thing where uh, they don't want to listen to their mom and dad. So they're going to do their own thing. And then, then, but, but then they have to suffer. And then they go back and forth. I think I will listen to my mom and dad. And then I won't listen. And Lord, would you just give them a singular heart to live for you? No matter what age they are. Would you give a singular heart? Would you pr- I, I pray, as Saul brought it up to God, for those that want to quit those that are ready to throw in the towel, maybe even using those words recently, just wanting to be done, would you establish them, Lord? 
would you reveal yourself to him? One of the things you did on Mount Carmel is you revealed yourself. And we pray for that revelation. We don't need it, Lord, but it would be cool to have it. We don't need it. Because you've been faithful to reveal yourself time and time again. But perhaps, God, we're here and gathered together just so you might reveal yourself. Show yourself faithful. Minister to you, Lord. That serve your people that we might grow, draw near to you. And so we say, pour out that fire of your spirit, Lord. Do a work today. Minister to our hearts and forgive us for faltering. In Jesus' name, amen.